welcome to the Pastor's Cut. This week, we are joined by Center Region Lead Pastor Nathan Payne. Yeah, we get to talk with him about Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, and the role of love in shaping our engagement in politics, as well as government. Great, let's get started. I'm Hillary Murphy. And I'm Trevor Lovell. And this is the Pastor's Cut with Nathan Payne. Hello, Nathan. Thank you so much for joining us for season four of The Pastor's Cut. It's good to have you back. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. And as hard as it is to believe for, I'm sure, all of us, fall is very quickly approaching. So, Nathan, what is a fall activity that you're really excited for this season? Oh, man. I, I, I love, love, love going to the apple orchard. It's not actually to pick the apples. It's to oh. be with my kids be walking around, running in the pumpkin patches, and uh, just the whole feeling of the cool air and enjoying a great uh, cider apple donut, you know, and some apple cider, boom, around a campfire, I'm ready to roll. Nice. Do you have a favorite apple orchard near here? Uh, you know, there's a few I love, but one of my absolute favorites is a place called Royal Oak. And it's up in Harvard, Illinois, uh, just a little uh, hour or two away in the city and uh, north suburbs, if you will. And so I love going there and uh, the family, we just, we just love making a whole day of the trip. That's really yeah. fun. Trevor, yeah. what about you? That mine's the same. Same exact answer. <laughs> it's, it's apple picking. We've gone to the same place for like six years now. And uh, just like you're saying, like the apple picking is fun. Uh, but then also like, I love the apple cider donuts. We get, we get a baker's dozen of those every year in the, in the cider and just the feeling of the, the fall air. And uh, yeah, it, it's just a fun thing to do every year as a family. We usually get a scented couple scented candles too that uh, carry us through the winter. So yeah, it's a it's a good one. What about you, Hillary? As much as I love apple picking, I'm going to go a different angle. And I really love football. Football to me just feels like fall. And I know it's a little different this year. I usually try to make it to at least one NFL game, but I'm going to let that go this year and just <laughs> cheer on the Bears and uh, the actually the Seattle Seahawks. Cheer them on from afar this year. They won last night, so oh. that to me just feels like fall. <laughs> Aren't you from New York, though? I am, yes. <laughs> yeah, so that feels like the opposite end. Like, how did, how did Seattle get roped yeah. in there? Well, my family, just when you come of age, you just pick a team. So usually yeah. around the age of seven. And we had an NFL Monopoly board, and the Seahawks had a really high square. So to me, that meant they're really good. And they had yeah. some cool colors. So okay, and loyal fan ever since. Yeah, yeah. I was curious how you got that because – it like you are you're loyal i've known like it's like one of the yeah. first things i learned about you is that you're a seahawks <laughs> fan <laughs> yes. yeah yeah okay cool so nate you preached uh at the you know near north lincoln park this past weekend the whole kitten caboodle with the broadcast and the outdoor gatherings could you give us a quick recap of your sermon uh for the six you kind of run through it for the sixth time here now <laughs> oh yeah thanks trev you know this weekend we answered the question uh what is how does the bible direct our posture towards government and politics. And, you know, jumping out of that same passage out of Romans 13 that we were in uh, last week when we talked about the role of government the previous week, it was our posture 
And, you know, the quick summary is that there's really three um, ways that Paul addresses that. One was submission, which is, you know, government as established by God and the government authorities uh, under his ultimate authority are, are things that we should submit to, that we should generally obey the laws and offer our honor and respect just out of our respect for God who established it. And then we also should participate. So there's submission, there's participation. We should be active in the governmental and political spheres, both vocally calling leaders up to aligning with this, you know, government to fulfill its proper function, you know, that people under its authority would be blessed, you know, and we should participate by voting. Uh, we should participate by praying for those in governmental positions. And then actively, I believe followers of Jesus should be those people in positions. Uh, and the big thing was that our motivation is out of our love for God and our love for our neighbor. And kind of the last point, which I call the sandwich, was really how Paul really puts this passage around government and our uh, engagement with the political discourse and spheres is in between two major passages on love. And so we talked about our posture towards one another, and that being driven by a deep love for each other, uh, even at times when we disagree with each other. And so that was the big summary of the message that I gave this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I like that, that third point too. And like, you know, we spent a lot of time these two weeks in Romans 13, one to seven, but then stretching it out to show like what's on either side of it and how like Paul really intentionally, like, like as you put it, had a sandwich around that um, to frame it with love. That was a, yeah, it was a really good point and just how that should frame the way that we engage. So, yeah. Yeah, and with loving your neighbor and something you emphasize so well during your sermon, have you found any challenges with that personally during this time, especially as I feel like a lot of people can be very divided? So how have you found it easiest to show love to your neighbors and even with that, your family and friends who might disagree with you? Yeah, you know, I think in this season of political discourse as we've in any number of ways a, a lot of the cultural moment that we're in have been discussions around government politics and some of the division or much of the division has been around how we approach those things and you know personally for me i think i shared this in the message you know in the last three months at park i've received more divisive email people who are angry frustrated upset in three months than i had in the previous seven years and one of the things that i I know that, you know, as anytime we're preaching and sharing God's word, God's first going to press it into us. And so one of the things just as an application of loving our neighbor is how do I respond to those who disagree with me? How do I respond to those who are uncharitable uh, or unloving? And, you know, uh, frankly, there's some, there's some exchanges that I got that were, that have been extremely, extremely, uh, hurtful, divisive, um, angry, bitter, and yet at the same time, God has challenged me, you know, look at Romans 12, 9, let your love be sincere, you know, uh, love one another with brotherly affection, going down to 14 and 20, love your enemies. And so, you know, there wasn't any wiggle room for me. So in part of that expression, just being simple in my response and discourse, which doesn't mean agree with everything that someone's position is, but to actually still maintain a posture of genuinely wanting that person, even though they may be sending me something I don't particularly care for, 
to still genuinely desire to see them flourish. And even if that means um, being willing to uh, restrain my emotions, my feelings, uh, so that I would be able to communicate to them in a way that demonstrates ultimately my submission to God and my love for God and my love for them. So that's one glaring application that has been pressed on me. I'm sure there's many others, though. Yeah. And Nate, I'll just say, I, I feel like one of the things I appreciate the most about you is that like, you always have a willingness to speak into um, you know, any subject and, uh, on what God's word says about it and to speak clearly on it and to speak boldly uh, and also compassionately, even knowing that sometimes it's going to invite responses that like, they're not always charitable, <laughs> they're not always kind. Um, and you just have that willingness to speak. And then even on the backside, the willingness to respond in a way uh, that that's civil and that's kind, but also that's, that's honest. And um, yeah, I just, I appreciate that you about you so much. So yeah, thank you for that. Thanks, man. Yeah. So what got cut this week? Well, there's a, there's a few things that got cut. Um, Trevor will appreciate this. You know, when I first, had everything written out. I think that it was going to be like an hour and a half long sermon. And uh, uh, it was really, a, this was really one where I just felt there was just a lot to say, but needed to be really uh, pared down to what was absolutely essential. And so there's a few things that I had to take out of it that I think were um, still, you know, I think helpful in clarifying, but uh, just wouldn't able to put it in there. And one of those was just out of a discourse from the uh, book that I've mentioned called How Can I Love My Church Member with Different Politics? And uh, it's a book by Jonathan Lehman and Andy Maselli, two uh, brilliant uh, followers of Christ who, you know, they just write prolifically and have just really good thoughts around how we engage uh, with one another. And there was, uh, you know, in the first chapter of the book, they laid out really just a way for us to think about how and why we perhaps get so upset with each other when we engage with someone who has differing political viewpoints. And uh, I mentioned a little bit of, I mentioned three of those things, but I, I, I could have expounded on them. But I just think that those three, three things that are at play are helpful for particularly followers of Jesus to think about, you know, the first being that because we're people who are justified, then we are people who actually care about justice because there's something in us that as followers of Jesus, we've been made right with God through uh, justification, through what Christ has done for us. And so we're concerned with righteousness. We're concerned with right judgment. Um, and, uh, you know, frankly, when we, discern or sense that someone who is choosing a path that we might consider is uh, taking a path towards injustice or unrighteous judgments, there's something in us that says, hey, wait, that's not right. Like I got like that something about that's not not aligning with God's right judgments. And we're sort of motivated uh, to want to see that corrected. Uh, and so we start to become skeptical and uh, perhaps even angry uh, with a sense of like the person who disagrees with us is choosing a path of injustice, you know? Uh, and another point that they made, which I thought was interesting and very relevant for all of us is that, you know, essentially self-justifying 
people are certain their convictions are right, which is a, a way of saying is when you think that you're right, you really do really think that you're right and everyone else is wrong. And because we're so prone to self-righteousness, all of us, you know, seek a, apart from the mercy of Christ to transform our hearts, we're all prone to defend ourselves, to make, uh, to blame others, to, um, to essentially not take responsibility for ourselves, but also to essentially make the case that we're in the right. You know, we saw this from the beginning uh, in Genesis when God comes to Adam and Eve after they sinned, and it was like they immediately said, look, I, you know, th this is what that person did. This is what that person did. And so um, it was just insightful for us to be conscious that, um, even if we have the right perspective on a particular issue, we might have the wrong motivation and that we're so prone to seek ourselves, prove ourselves right rather than pursuing truth. Uh, and I think that was just like a helpful thing for, for us because I think it, for, for all of us with whichever political sort of discernment that we uh, land on, that even as we land on those conclusions, we, we have to have a healthy humility, I think, that uh, is, you know, framed, of course, by the scripture and submitted and yielded to the Holy Spirit and a willingness to consider that perhaps I don't have this right, uh, perhaps, but it certainly has to be motivated by a deep love for God and a deep love for others. Um, and uh, yeah, so I couldn't talk about those two points. And I thought that those were uh, things that could have been expounded on, but I just think those are really relevant in terms of how we think around these issues. You know, another point, if I would, is that um, they really uh, talked about, both in, in this book, they talked about uh, just the fact that, you know, political decisions and um, sort of that whole process of policy is really an extension of applying wisdom and you know there's a reality of biblical and theological convictions that we should all be anchored and rooted in scripture but then there's often a gap between how we actually apply those uh, principles if you will in the world in situations and in different contexts and I love what they said about wisdom it's like it would be the capacity of our mind to combine a reverence uh, for God with the skill of living in God's created but broken world in a way that produces justice, peace, and flourishing. And, you know, you can look at the pantheon of scripture where a number of very godly leaders all chose different courses of action um, based on an application of wisdom in their particular circumstances, you know. So I just think that in that context of government and policy uh, in terms of political discourse, there's, we're all in different stages and spectrums of where, how much we're able to apply wisdom and how skillful we are to apply that. And so uh, we have to be patient with one another and willing to help each other along. And, in the, in the, and through it all, as I said in the sermon, maintain a deep love uh, for God in a, a deep and inviting love for each other. Yeah. 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 You know, this is, um, 
Just out of curiosity, Nate, because I, I know a little bit of your story. Like you, you grew up, your dad was a pastor in Washington, D.C., right? That's how you were. And so like politics must have played into uh, like his work as a pastor quite a bit, especially just with where he was, where you all were located in the country. Did you have like a lens on that as a kid? And what was that like? Well, this is interesting. Just to fill in the story, to give context, I actually grew up for my younger years in rural Indiana. And we were part of a, what I would say is a politically and religiously conservative community uh, that was predominantly uh, majority culture white. And so uh, I, I grew up in that context for a part of my upbringing. And then I was in the context of Washington DC uh, which was a much more diverse, multi-ethnic, multicultural uh, spectrum of very political and socioeconomic and economic uh, sort of factors there. And so I actually got to experience some pretty wide-ranging context. And uh, frankly, you know, part of my upbringing, I, I think there was, a, you know, a piece where there was a tendency to disengage from the political discourse and uh, within the church, you know, that it wasn't as a robust conversation in some of the context that I was in, in the DC uh, area. And that probably was one of the reasons why I was so, I so gravitated towards just being one of those kids who was a nerd who would just love reading about and, uh, you know, kind of understanding the, how government and politics worked. So, um, it, it wasn't as much of a conversation in the context of the, the church, to be honest, uh, for me growing up um, in the D.C. area. However, everything was always a conversation in our family and in our household. And uh, part of that is just the experience being uh, African-American in America is that there's just a reality of you're, we're always thinking around policy and how it affects people groups uh, and, uh, and so how do we apply ourselves as faithful followers of Jesus while considering the impact uh, that uh, policy is having on not only our communities, but, all, but also other communities. And so I, I kind of grew up in a little bit of both, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe along that same line of thought, then just thinking about your experience as a kid, knowing that you're a dad now, um, is, do you have those sorts of, like, what tips do you have for having conversations around policy, around politics, like in the setting of a family with kids, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. That's a great question. Like, how do we talk around, uh, talk about these issues with our kids? And uh, I'll be the first to say, if we have those conversations with our kids, and um, <laughs> I laugh because sometimes our kids will, uh, without context, you will hear our kids saying various uh, political slogans and um, berating various candidates because it's just part of like how we're discussing things and so they kind of choose their sides at times. Um, I'll have to tell you a funny story uh, one day about one of my kids who gave the hugest insult to another of my kids by calling them a particular uh, person by name but that will be another story. Um, so uh, one of the things that we do is one believe is that scripture does speak to every issue and area that we 
will face in modern life. And so uh, God's word has something to say about uh, how we approach government and politics uh, and policy and how we could think around our role as citizens in, uh, in a particular country, in a particular state, particular city, and uh, our role as followers of Jesus. So we have those conversations with our kids uh, around the dinner table. Um, we ask a lot of questions. We um, let them share what they think. We let them dialogue and give pushback. Uh, sometimes we even uh, try to, you know, play diff both sides of the political spectrum to sort of drive them to think critically about the issues of our day. And then we also encourage them to be involved, you know, so we've we had them do various things, activities that have not just been talking about this arena, but helping them to engage in this discussion and discourse and to actually be a part of what uh, the inner workings of it is. So those are kind of some of the things that we've done. Um, certainly we're not perfect parents. Uh, certainly would know that, but we believe by God's grace that we have the privilege to be able to steward that opportunity to help educate and shape them and give them a vision for being followers of Jesus that are engaged, bring their influence to bear for the benefit and blessing of people on the scope of governmental authority. Yeah, thanks, Nathan, for sharing that and how you um, teach your kids even at such a young age about how to engage in today's age. Was there anything else that got cut? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about just the context of what do you do? You know, Paul, of course, says submit to governmental authorities, obviously, as a reflection, as they've been established by God. So submitting first and foremost to God's ultimate authority. Uh, but what happens when those governmental authorities extend their authority outside of the will of God. And you know, one of the examples that came to mind when I thought about what does a follower of Jesus, someone who's uh, seeking to be faithful to, um, to God do when that happens. Um, of course, we have, there's the example of the Peter, James, and John who said it's better to obey God rather than men, and they continue to preach in the name of Jesus. But I thought of an Old Testament example, but it actually involved two women uh, two women that uh, really, I don't think there's much that we hear or read about them in terms of like uh, scripture, but this particular situation where uh, two women in Exodus chapter uh, one, uh, they're the midwives of the Israelite, uh, they're sort of they're the Israelite people who they oversee the birth of uh, the babies. And so I could just imagine they're supervising a number of people. It's not just them who are running around delivering babies. They have a the whole cadre of, of, of workers under their care. They're overseeing this entire um, mechanism and process of making sure that babies are being delivered healthily for the Israelite people. But it's while they're under care, and these two women named Shifra and uh, Pua receive an order from Pharaoh, who at the time, this the governmental structure there was Pharaoh was essentially absolute uh, monarch, and the, he was the authority. And he says to them, we want you to kill, make sure every male child that's born from the Israelite people is killed. 
and uh, it just you know Shifra and Pua, these courageous women uh, who I could just imagine. I mean, these are they they, they got to have some they 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 have to have that deep faith in God at this point um, that they're going to defy Pharaoh. Uh, there's been no miracles for them. Uh, they, they haven't seen any, haven't seen Moses come. Moses hasn't even been born yet. And they just say, you know, we're not going to do it. And they defy Pharaoh. Uh, and they don't follow through with that order. And of course, you just surmise that they develop a plan. They tell all the people that they're overseeing. They save the lives of how many baby boys we don't know uh, and defy Pharaoh. And it says that essentially God honored them for that. That's great. Thanks for sharing, Nathan. And thanks for joining us for this week's episode. Well, it's been great to be here. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Pastor's Cut. We hope you join us again next week as we go back to Romans chapter 9.